Well, today I'm going to preach a message um, that's been in my heart for a while. I've just been waiting for the right time. And, and based on what the Holy Spirit was saying to us, this certainly is the right day. It's just, one of the, again, one of those special moments where the Lord just really confirms, uh, confirms what, what He's saying in us. Today, uh, the message I'm going to share with you is entitled Denial. I, um, I grew up in a... I grew up in a mechanic's home, and uh, and growing up in a mechanic's home, there were always there were always tools around because we were uh, obviously we worked on cars, and um, I grew up, you know, you, you sometimes you you hear about people. Um, I saw a meme recently, and it was talking about how uh, you know don't. I can't remember the meme exactly, but basically the point of the meme was, you know, nothing can nothing can get to me because I've I've helped my dad work on something. That was basically the meme. I held the flashlight for my dad. Have you ever held the flashlight for your dad when he was working on something? You ever ever your dad ask you to go get the tool, and you know he's like, go get the go get the ratchet, and you come back and you've got a hammer or something. Like you have no idea what he's talking about. Um, having the wrong tool uh, really is a disaster. And I've learned a lot of things from, from my dad. He's an amazing, uh, amazing man. I cannot wait until uh, my parents can travel out uh, to spend some time with us here and you get, you get to meet him. Uh, he is just such a fun, funny guy. Uh, but he's taught me a lot of things. And one of the things that he has taught me is he has taught me about having the right tool at the right time. Sometimes he's taught me that in harsh ways. In uh, other times he's taught me that through example, and other times he's taught me that through explaining to me how to do things. And, and really it can, be a, it can be a disaster when you have the wrong tool at the wrong time. Um, not having the right tool in your tool belt uh, can put you in difficult situations. Desra and I, um, we just sold our house. We, our house in the U.S. We just sold it um, a couple of weeks ago. Actually, uh, we've kept it all this time, and it, it got me kind of being nostalgic because I was thinking about uh, a lot of things in that house. But I was also thinking about some of the different projects uh, that that I tried to do in that house. And like I told you, I grew up in a mechanic's home. I did not grow up in a carpenter's home. And, um, and I remember when we moved in the house, it was a two-bedroom house with a loft. So if, if you don't know what that means, you kind of go up the stairs, and there's this sort of open area that overlooks sort of the, the lounge, the living room area. It was a tiny, tiny, tiny little house. Uh, but we moved into it, and we already had uh, two children. And so we thought, well, we'll just convert that loft into a bedroom. And I, I looked at it and I said, how hard can that be? You just got to add a wall here, a wall here, and a door. That's, that's simple. Anybody can do that, right? And uh, so, so we moved into this house and I did my best to add the wall and add the other wall and add the door. And, and no matter how hard I tried... On the this was this was this house was uh, built and then redone in the 80s and back then they textured walls. Do you guys ever have textured walls? Um, 
So this, the walls, all the walls in this house were textured. So when I added the upstairs wall, I, I had the task of trying to match the texture of this already existing pretty large wall with this little patch of wall that I had put up. But it was very visible. You walked into the living room and like it's what you saw. So I thought, I can do that. It's no problem. And I remember uh, putting the little mud on the wall way high up on a ladder, and I would try to match the texture. And no matter what I did, I could not match the texture. I bought tool after tool after tool, and I could never match the texture. It looked absolutely ridiculous. Eventually, I just painted it, and we just pretended like it wasn't there. I'm not kidding. We just pretended like, oh, it's fine. It's no big deal. I just gave up because I never had the right tool. I did not have the right tool in my tool belt. And so I never could make the wall match. Well, what was so <laughs> crazy to me about it is I remember telling people, oh, they, they must not, you know, they must not have the tools to do that anymore because no one can make that texture match. I, I went to every store to buy every texturing tool, every type of mud. I just couldn't do it. Well, after we had lived in the house for probably 10 years, we, we moved to Africa. And so before we moved to Africa, one of my friends is a carpenter, a general contractor. And so I asked him, because we were going to rent the house out, I asked him, hey, would you come paint the house and get it ready because we're going to rent the house? And oh, by the way, there's this wall that I put up. Could you patch that up a little bit? It's a little rough. I mean, I did the best I could. It's a little rough. And he was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And I remember leaving the house and thinking, yeah, let's see how this happens. And coming in, and I'm like, what in the world? It matched perfectly. I mean, as if it was originally built there. They had the right tool. They knew what they were doing. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the tools that we have in our tool belt and having the wrong tool in your tool belt, especially at the wrong time in your life. When I was, um, when I was younger, I used to think, I used to think that, you know, if I, I could do, I can do anything. But I've learned that I can't do anything. There's some things that I can do, and there's some things that I can't do, and there's some things that I can only do if I have the right tools in my tool belt. One of the most significant tools that a person can have in their tool belt is the tool of awareness. I've worked with, I've had the opportunity, really, really been privileged to have the opportunity to be able to work with a lot of a lot of leaders, a lot of people. And I have learned that one of the most significant tools that a person can have is the tool of awareness. That oftentimes that it is the lack of self-awareness that is the biggest obstacle to people moving forward. Whether it be in their job, I've worked with leaders and CEOs and company owners and managers and, and just Joe on the street. I've worked with all kinds of people who can't seem to move forward in their career because they do not have an authentic, true view of themselves. They have no idea how they present themselves when they walk into a room. They constantly talk over people and never realize how they make people feel. 
they're rude, they're obnoxious, they think they're funny, and they never understand how they come across. And so it doesn't make sense to them why they don't get the promotion or why they never seem to go anywhere in their career. I've observed as people in their marriages have problem after problem after problem, and when you set them down and you try to do pastoral counseling and you try to talk to them, it becomes very, very clear that oftentimes you have two people, if not at least one, who simply does not have a realistic view of themselves, in particular view of themselves in relation to their spouse, and so therefore they cannot make progress in their marriage. I've prayed with people for miracles in their lives. I've prayed with people for this, that, and the other. And just to see over and over and over again that the person's greatest obstacle to the miracle is themselves. And their lack of ability to see how they're getting in the way of what God is trying to do constantly keeps them from what God has called them to do. Awareness is... One of those beautiful tools, though, because awareness is a tool that can be used in multiple ways. Um, growing up in a mechanic's home, my dad had certain tools, and those tools were very expensive, and they could only be used in certain ways. And, and trying, to be, uh, trying to be ambitious as a kid or trying to be helpful as a kid, sometimes I would take out those high precision tools and I would try to use them in a way to solve a problem. And there was nothing that would make my dad more angry than when I took one tool that was for one purpose and I tried to use it for something else. But man, I loved a pair of spanners. Because you could use those suckers for just about anything, right? Awareness is like that. It's a tool. It's a tool that can be used for multiple things. It's a beautiful thing when awareness exists in a person's life. But it is an ugly thing when awareness isn't there. There are few common human shared blind spots like the inability to truly see oneself and thus actually see others. Here's what I understand about awareness, is that when you do not have personal awareness, you do not truly have awareness of others. When you do not have personal awareness or self-awareness spiritually, you do not truly have awareness of who God is. It's so interesting to me how those things are related, how it seems to be related. When people don't really see God, they don't really see themselves. When people don't really see themselves, they don't really see God. I wonder how often many of us are, many of us are frustrated in our lives, and it's because of simply not having the right tool in our tool belt. There's a number of people that we could point to in history and in scripture as the fathers of the church. But really, when you start boiling it down to the fathers of the church, we, of course, we look at the original apostles and we look at them and many of us admire them. And when we think about them, we think about the incredible things that they've done. We think about the sacrifices that they've made. We think about 
we think about all of their excellent writings and we think about the example that they are to us and we hope, we hope to grow up, if you will, spiritually and be like them. We hope that we can step into um, our calling and our gifting as they have. But what I love so much about Scripture is that Scripture paints a true picture of these people in Scripture. It doesn't just paint a picture of them and all of their greatness. It also clearly illustrates to us their mistakes. It not only paints a picture of us of the wonderful things that they've done for the kingdom of God, but it reveals their blind spots. It reveals where the missing tools existed in their tool belt and the wonderful thing about it is, is if you watch the journey of Jesus with the disciples, if you read the Gospels, what you see is a process whereby Jesus is equipping their tool belt with the tools that they will need to be the people that he's called them to be. I love seeing that in scripture because for somebody like me, it helps me to have confidence that even though I may lack the right tool right now, even though I may mess up and make mistakes that God in his faithfulness, just as he was faithful with the disciples, he will be faithful in my life to equip me with the tools that I need. See, there is nothing more debilitating than the lack of being able to be honest with oneself about one self. I said it earlier, it bears repeating over and over and over again, we get stuck because we lack the ability to be honest with ourselves about ourselves. Everyone else sees it. Everyone else sees that I'm obnoxious. I just can't see it. Everyone else Everyone else can see that I'm demanding. I just can't see it. Everyone else can see that I'm rude. I just can't see it. Everyone else can see that I stay in that same pattern of insecurity where I'm demanding everybody's attention and, and then when everyone doesn't applaud to me, I go into a corner and I sulk and pout. Everyone else can see it. I just don't see it. Hello? Everyone else can see that, I, that I, I do these certain things well, but then there are these other things in my life that I'm struggling in. The sad thing is, is everyone else can see it, but I can't see it. And because I can't see it, I can't address it. And because I can't address it, I won't grow through it. As you read scripture, you read the story of Jesus confronting over and over again those who were following him, in particular those who we would call the fathers of the church, and helping them to grow through things. We're going to talk today about a man named Simon. Simon Peter had such a massive role in advancing. In fact, there are those who would say he is the father of the church. He is certainly one of the early fathers of the church. Much of what we read in scripture, we see his presence in the gospel. We see his presence in the founding of the church. We see his thumbprint, if you will, on church history. What a massive role he had. And yet, there's probably not a greater example of someone who clearly had missing tools in his tool belt that he had to discover to become the person who God wanted him to be. 
When we read about the life of Peter, we read the story about a man who stood up on the day of Pentecost and in the face of in the face of a crowd who who was skeptical and a group of people who wasn't sure what was going on he stood on the day of Pentecost and he preached really that founding sermon for the church you remember that and thousands were saved that day but long before the day of Pentecost Long before that moment of confidence and that moment of assurance and that moment of telling of Jesus, Peter was a man who struggled with denial. He struggled with self-denial and he struggled with denial of Jesus. I'm going to quickly move through a story that's probably familiar to everyone in this room. If it's not familiar to it, to you, you'll be able to find it clearly in Scripture because it's in all four of the Gospels. We first learn about, about this man named Peter in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 5. It tells the same story from two different perspectives. It was when Jesus first met Peter. Peter and his brother were fishermen, and they had been out fishing all night. And they came in from their fishing trip, and they had left their boats, and they were cleaning their nets. Jesus, as he is there, and has a crowd gathering around him, needs a platform. And so he sees their boats. He gets on Peter's boat and he says to Peter, hey, push out from the water a little bit so that everyone can see me and hear me. And Peter reluctantly sees, uh, because he's heard of Jesus, he says, okay, pushes out from the water. Jesus teaches this multitude of people. And then as the teaching comes to an end, Jesus says to Peter, okay, now I want you to push out the boat into the deep water. They were in the shallow water. Push out the boat into the deep water, and then I want you to throw your net on the other side, and, you're, and you will catch fish. Peter's like, hang on, hang on a minute. Um, you're a carpenter. Kind of a weirdo. I really don't know who you are. I've heard a little bit about you. I know people call you master, and there's this crowd, but I'm a fisherman. And I've been fishing all night long, and there were no fish. I know what I'm doing here, and there are no fish. Jesus insists, throw your net on the other side, and there will be fish. Peter ultimately relents. If you read it in the original language, Peter is basically humoring him. I'm the expert, you're a carpenter, quasi-teacher, so I'll do what you want me to do just to humor you because I am a fisherman, I know what I'm doing. There's no fish here. Of course, he lets down his net. You remember the story. There's so many fish that his friends, sons of Zebedee, have to come over. They bring in the haul of fish. Peter falls on his face before Jesus, recognizing at this point, he finally recognizes who Jesus is. Yeah, you're a carpenter, you're something of a teacher, whatever. At this moment, when the miracle comes, now all of a sudden, he sees Jesus. He can't deny who Jesus is. He can't deny who Jesus is. And so he says, go from me, I, I am unclean. There's this whole identity thing that's happening. He's no longer in denial about who he is because he clearly sees who Jesus is. And in that moment, 
He says, go away from me. And Jesus says, you know what, Peter? You see me now. You finally see me. I see you also. You think you're a fisher of fish, but I see you as a fisher of men. So instead of staying at the boat and throwing your net on the other side, come and follow me. Jesus was calling Peter out of the identity that Peter had embraced for himself. The expertise that Peter thought he was. Jesus, as Peter saw Jesus, Jesus saw Peter and said, leave that all behind and come and follow me. And from that moment forward, Peter was in the process, Peter was in the process of getting a new tool in his tool belt. He was in the process of reconciliation. It wasn't just in that moment. I wanna show you something. I wanna show you something. Some of us are so frustrated spiritually because we've been convicted about something or we've prayed about something or we've had a moment with God and we took a sin or we took an issue to God and we prayed about it, we heard a sermon, we saw a miracle and we came before the Lord and maybe like Peter, we got on our face and we said, oh Lord, I repent, I repent, I repent. And we thought that just in that moment that everything was going to be different. But here we are, here we are in Peter's life years after the first miracle of seeing the fish. And what I'm going to show you today is after miracle, after miracle, after miracle, after miracle, that in the same way that, that Peter was dealing with denial and identity issues when he first met Jesus, he dealt with denial and identity issues all the way up after Jesus' resurrection. It wasn't a one-time event. Reconciliation in Peter's life didn't happen once. It happened over and over and over again. We've become so lazy and so cheap in our version of Christianity that we've stopped teaching doctrines like sanctification. That is an understanding that we are both saved and being saved. That we are both renewed and being renewed. We've become so shallow and so childish in our Christianity that we've lost an understanding that God, when he begins to interrupt our life, he causes us to engage a process where we, whereby we become less like our flesh and more like him. It's okay to be in a process. Many of us in this room feel like spiritual failures because our expectation is that our spirituality will be like McDonald's, that it'll be one event and it's over. We're having a fast food spirituality instead of the fine dining that God has called us to. Instead of savoring a process whereby God is showing us and revealing his glory and moving us away from all the salt and the garbage and the nonsense and moving us towards tasting and seeing that he is good. Man, there's a lot of stuff in there. That wasn't even in my notes. I'm getting all allegorical. We're in this we're in this shallow place, and what we see in Peter's life, I'm going to take you through it quickly, because I just don't have enough time. This is, this is why it's always dangerous when I travel, because I come back with like pages of notes. See, like Peter, we are all guilty of pulling out the tool of self-reliance, when in fact what we need is the tool of self-awareness. Peter on that day 
really didn't take Jesus seriously because he wasn't sure of who Jesus was. And that's why he said, I'm a fisherman. There's no fish here. I know what I'm doing. Please stop telling me what to do. I'll humor you because culture says I should humor you, Pastor Randy. I'll humor you and say amen to what you're preaching because you're the pastor of the church. But when I'm out of this building, I'm going to do it my way anyways because I'm the fisherman and you're not. I'm from Durban and you're from America. You don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to be an Indian woman. You don't know what it's like to be a black man in South Africa. So I'll humor you out of respect for your position, teacher. But don't tell me where to cast my net. Woo, that's good stuff right there. Because that's exactly the street we're all living on. I'm going to do it my way because I'm the fisherman. I'll play the culture game, but, uh, but here's what happens. God shows up sometimes, and he interrupts our reality, and he calls us to reconciliation. Simon Peter goes through this whole process of following Jesus from that day forward. He continues to struggle with who he is and who Jesus is. And we know that he comes to the end of Jesus' life, and... They've come to Passover, and Jesus takes the disciples in, and he starts a conversation. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels. He starts a conversation with, um, with the disciples as they're having Passover, and he basically says, look, you guys, somebody here is going to betray me. Of course, everybody's like, ah, Judas, what a jerk. But really, everybody in the room betrayed him. And everybody in the room was going to betray him. One was going to go sell him for, 20, uh, for 30 pieces of silver, but everybody in the room was going to betray him. Everyone in the room was going to let him down that night. It was so fascinating. But like a bunch of church people, they just started pointing fingers at each other instead of pointing the finger at themselves. Hmm. Jesus, somebody says, somebody's going to betray me. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22. Jesus has taken them through all of this. Simon, Simon, Luke 22, 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all, sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, notice that you may have read that passage and thought, that it was only about Simon, but it really, it wasn't only about Judas, it was about everybody, because everybody there was going to betray him. Everyone there had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They had had the power of the Holy Spirit literally light upon them, and they were sent out by twos to do signs and wonders and miracles, and yet every stinking one of them were about to betray him, were about to deny him. Oh, if God, if I could just, if God would just do miracles in my life, I would never betray him. Hogwash. Nonsense. There's, not, there's never enough. There's not an answered prayer that's ever going to be the answered prayer, and then you're never going to betray him. That's not true. Scripture shows us over and over and over again that we deny him. That's what we do. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you, now talking about Simon, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. 
I can't believe anybody's going to betray you, Jesus. I would never betray you. I'll die for you. Here's the deal. Peter would die for him eventually. But in that moment, he did not have the tool in his tool belt to die for him. Because at that moment, he did not even have the tool in his tool belt to live for him. Many of us have prayed the prayer and have said, God, I'll die for you. Take me anywhere. And the Lord says, okay, I want you to leave Durban. No, I meant anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I want, you to, I want you to go. No, Lord, I'll do any. I'll die for you in Durban, right here. In Schlagen, in Phoenix. Don't take it. Go to Westville. That's about as far as I can go. Belito's nice. I'll, I can go there. Whew, I'll suffer for you there, Jesus. Peter's denial was so poignant because that night, not only would he not die for Jesus, but he wouldn't even be able to stay awake and keep guard when Jesus asked in his greatest moment of stress, in his most obvious moment of pain for his closest friends to watch his back, Peter couldn't even stay awake. I'm not asking you to die. Just hang out with me for a few minutes. Just hurt with me for a little while. Just cry with me over what's broken my heart, breaking my heart. Couldn't even do that. Much less die for him. Much less go to the cross. He didn't have the tool in his tool belt to live for him, much less die for him. But Jesus was taking him through a process of giving him exactly what he needed. Here is this man that Jesus had called his rock, and yet at that moment, he could not be trusted at that moment. He could not be relied on. Not only would he not stay awake, but he would, he would respond out of his emotions and try to prevent from happening what Jesus was clearly allowing and wanting to happen. And he would hide in the background as Jesus was being falsely accused and tried. Luke chapter, uh, Luke, uh, chapter 22, verses 54 to 60 says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some were there, kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. And he said a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. See, the scariest delusions are the ones that we tell ourselves. I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. I'll do anything for you. I can't even stay awake. I'll serve you. I'll give you everything, Lord. But you know, this issue of tithing, I'm not really sure that's in the Bible. You know, it's kind of a debatable issue. And, you know, I mean, does North Place really need the money? 
I've had people tell me. I don't tithe, Pastor, because clearly, clearly we have foreign donors who, who, who donate to, for, so we don't need the money here. Oh, cool. So where do you give that? Oh, well, I mean, I don't get, um, just so you know, there's no foreign donors bankrolling us. We can only do what we can do because those of us in this room are faithful. And those of us who aren't keep us from doing what we're not doing. Oh, Jesus, I'll give you everything except that 10%. That's too much. How about 3.2? <laughs> Jesus, I'll serve you as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. I'll serve you as long as people like me. I'll serve you as long as people agree with me. I'll do anything. The greatest, the worst, the most insidious delusions are the ones we tell ourselves. The ones we repeat to ourselves. The self-talk that keeps us in a place of self-justification of things that simply are not true. The delusions we tell ourselves about our spouse, about our children, about our families, about the boundaries, about the problems that exist in our lives. The delusions that we embrace. And we continue to repeat, Peter was so full of delusion, he could not understand. He could not understand that Jesus saw him exactly as he was, and yet he had already prayed for him. Keep reading, John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Simon Peter Thomas, Nathaniel, and Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the other two disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. Remember, Jesus had told him, strengthen your brothers. After you deny me, it's okay, because I know who you are and you're going to come back, because I'm irresistible. That's the power of the gospel. I'm irresistible. Some of you are so worried about that kid or that grandkid. Just know this, he's irresistible. I'm telling you, he's irresistible. It's okay, Peter. You're going to come back, and when you do, strengthen your brothers. You're a leader, Peter. You're a leader. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. That sound familiar. When we don't see ourselves the way God created us, we veer away from our aspirations and return to our habits. When we're not aware of who God really is and we're not aware of what he has said about us, we don't go towards those spiritual aspirations and those callings. Instead, we return to our habits, those things that we know best, those ways that we self-validate, those ways that we make ourselves feel important, those things that we've believed about ourselves that kept us trapped and in bondage. Peter had been raised in a fisherman's home. He had been taught that that was a fisherman, that he was a fisher of fish. And so when he was away from Jesus and he stopped believing, 
believing in himself because in his self-effort, he couldn't be who God had called him to be and had come face to face with failure. What did he do? He returned to being a fisher of fish. And he led those around him to be a fisher of fish. And yet once again, he found himself with empty nets all night long. And yet Jesus had prayed for him. John chapter 21 verses 15 through 19, when they had finished eating. When they had finished eating, what do you mean when they had finished eating? See, Jesus was waiting on the shore and he called out to them and he said, come, come over here. And they came and there was Jesus and there was fish cooking. They hadn't caught it, he had caught it. Once again, the non-fisherman, the carpenter, had caught the fish. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you, where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter was a fisherman and Jesus said, I want you to be a shepherd. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus said, Peter, that denial of me is not reality. Instead, what is reality is who I'm calling you to be. This story today was a story of reconciliation in spite of failure. It was a story of a God who said, I want to equip you to overcome your failure. I want to reconcile you in spite of your failure. Many of us have dreamed big dreams for God and they haven't happened. And some of us, perhaps they haven't happened because it hasn't been our season or it hasn't been our time. But some of us, some of us, if we were to be honest this morning, some of us haven't lived out those dreams because we're still in the process like Peter of being reconciled, of reconciling the difference between who God has called us to be and who we believe that we are. To reconcile the difference between the tools of a fisher of fish that I have on my tool belt, that culture or society or my parents or my situation gave me and the tools that God desires for me to have to do things that are beyond my culture, to do things that are beyond the limitations of my education, to do things that are beyond the limitation of those around me that move past my brokenness and my mistakes. Some of us are so riddled with failure 
and we've believed the failure more than we've believed God, that we simply cannot move forward. Some of us have believed the lies of the enemy more than we've believed God, and so we cannot move forward. Some of us in this room have a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because we've made promises and commitments to God and we haven't lived them out. And so sometimes it's hard to come close to him because we remember when we were sitting around the table and we said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then we turned around and fell asleep at the campfire. Some of us carry guilt and shame because we said, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. And yet we couldn't follow him to the cross. Today is a day of reconciliation. Today is a day in which we get honest with God and God gets honest with us. Now, Father, I thank you for every person that is here today. I thank you for the fathers who are in this room. Lord, so many dads, I know myself, I struggle with guilt. I struggle with shame. I struggle with feeling like less as a, as a husband and a father because sometimes, Lord, I don't have the right tools. Sometimes, Lord, I make commitments and promises that I haven't kept. Lord, some of my greatest regrets in my life are things that I've told my kids that I haven't been able to live up to. Much less things that I've said to you. God, I know as a man, it's very easy to become paralyzed by guilt and shame. Not just men, Lord, every one of us in this room, we deal with guilt and shame. We deal with times when we haven't lived up to our big words. Lord, may today be a day of reconciliation in which we allow those things to be washed away from us and we embrace the identity that we have as sons and daughters of a most high God who loved us and prayed for us even when he knew we were going to fail, even when we knew we were going to make mistakes. He prayed for us. Lord, I pray for every heart, every mind, and every spirit this morning that we would know, that we would be assured, that we would be assured that God has us in our hands, that he has us in his hands, that he keeps us, that even when we are far from him, he keeps us. Lord, I pray this week as we try to live out what we've learned today, as the enemy comes in like a flood and begins to whisper in our ear or maybe even yell in our ear all of his lies, all of his condemnation, all of his guilt. Lord, I pray, may the Holy Spirit help us to exchange the lie of the enemy of that identity that is gone with the identity that we have in Christ Jesus, that we are new creatures, that we are fishers of men, that we have a calling, a destiny, that we are your children. Lord, I bless your people in all that they do this week. May their eyes be open. May we see the truth about ourselves. And Holy Spirit, may you help us to grow through it, to become all that you want us to be, not in guilt and shame and condemnation, but in joy and peace and strength in Christ Jesus. I ask it in your name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.